It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome into another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, I'm going to take a moment to remind you to give us a subscribe. If you listen to the podcast every day, go check out the Himalaya app. Continue to use iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever you use. Hit that subscribe button if you like what you hear. And if you have time, give us a review too. We'd really appreciate it. And it would give us an idea of what you like and maybe what you don't like about the podcast. You can always get into our Twitter's with uh with feedback as well without further ado the show today we have a really interesting talk that joe had with jim coburn who we've talked about a lot on the podcast i'm sure you're familiar with the name at this point does productivity based thresholds and averages to give us an idea of does this guy check the productivity and athleticism boxes that all pro and pro bowl players before them at their position going back decades worth of data have checked off at the college level and then in the second half of the show we'll continue our mock madness brackets where we have a result from yesterday and we get into the second round with a pretty interesting matchup before we get into the really i I can't emphasize enough interesting conversation joe had with james A little bit of news coming out of Paul Brown Stadium today. Jawan Taylor is in Cincinnati, apparently, for his pre-draft visit. It's been reported, I think, that there's been interest between the Bengals and Taylor for some time. His official visit is happening today. In addition to that, the Bengals held their local pro day and have 40 local prospects in or something like that, including, you know, quarterback Hayden Moore and safety Mike Edwards. We talked about Edwards from Kentucky yesterday. So they had a bunch of players in yesterday, and it's kind of cool. You can go to Bengals.com, see some pictures of the new coaching staff working with the players, including Zach Taylor, Tem Lubaku, or Lukabu. I always get that transposed. The new linebackers coach as well. Um, And Mike Brown was down there. Mike Brown is in a picture with with Mike Edwards, yeah, the Kentucky safety. So it's kind of cool. I didn't recognize most of the coaches. I was looking at it, like, usually in those pictures, you'd be like, yeah, oh, yeah, I know there's, there's John Hayes or... Yeah. Now it's, I don't know who any of these people are. It's definitely going to be an adjustment period. Uh, I think the Taylor, the Juwan Taylor thing is interesting. As we've noted a few times, he didn't do any of the athletic testing this offseason. And I think that leaves questions for a lot of teams of, okay, what is he? Because we would love to check that box. Now, some teams will put you through a workout. And, and if he's healthy and can, then maybe the Bengals will and have their own internal information. But uh, 
We also had Juwan Taylor versus Jonah Williams recently in our mock madness, and Jonah Williams beat him out, so he will move on to the next round. Uh, the, the other thing about Taylor, and some I saw someone mention, well, oh, a late visit. This must be real interest. Uh, I, I guess you could look at it that way. I think some of the late visits are because you have question marks on guys also. And there's still time, and there's still visits to take place over the rest of this week. If you remember last year, April 18th was Frank Ragnow, and he would have been the pick had he been available at 21. And as far as we know, these are they, they could have had other visits, I guess is what I'm getting at. They, oh, we, we'll never we, have all 30. They don't? I mean, we won't, we'll never have all 30. We right, won't right. know all, all yeah. the names. So if we get 15 of them, there's going to be 15 other guys we have no, no clue about. Yeah, and I think this year we've talked about it on the podcast. The flow of information has seemed, for whatever reason, to be slower yeah, or, so. or scarcer. We're, we're not really terribly sure what's going on in terms of their in terms of their visits. I saw somebody, I think somebody on Reddit posted on the Bengals Reddit a few. I, don't, I didn't see when it was, but they linked out to Walter Football when the Bengals had only four visits listed there and other teams have like 40. And I think it's just nobody seems to have contacts with these coaches yet in the media. So give it a year. Yeah, I would say give it some time. So Jawan Taylor showing some interest in the tackle. This is a guy that they would need to take in the first round. I think they're probably aware of that. He won't be there in the mm-hmm. second round unless, you know, something crazy happens or he's really bombing his interviews with teams. I think yep. he has the size and the tape that's going to make him a first-round player. The Bengals at 11. I, I don't know how you could feel good about drafting Jawan Taylor at 11, really, right. uh, with, given with the, the rest of the offseason. And the incomplete yeah. on the athletic testing. Yeah. Unless you get him to, you know, run through the drills in your stadium and you feel good. Yeah. Then, then you have the information that, you know, potentially the other teams don't have. But I, I would also say it was, uh, remember they brought Devin White, Devin Bush around the same time. And mm-hmm. then it was Rashawn Gary and some of the second round guys and Montez Sweat around the same time. And then now it looks like Cody Ford, Andre Dillard, yeah. and Juwan Taylor all around the same time. So it could also be, you know, if we're thinking of the timing uh, also. They may want to see these guys back-to-back and get a greater appreciation when you see them live. Yeah, that could be it, too. That's a good point. So that, I think, is it for news. It's still pretty quiet. We're we're getting closer to the draft, though, every day. So that's exciting. Got to keep that in mind. We are 12. Nope, that's not how math works. Nine days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nine days away from the draft. So that's pretty exciting. So. Joe, what did you talk with James about? What can we give, give the give the listeners a quick primer? Yeah, we I, I wanted him to bring up his history and what he's done and how long he's done it and why this uh, you know why these metrics are important. I also I wanted to dive into quarterbacks, linebackers, and the one thing I thought of too with linebacker was bringing up Malik Jefferson because the Bengals invested a premium pick last year in him, and I wonder if you don't take Devin White or Devin Bush at the top of this draft. At what point is Malik Jefferson still a better prospect than the guys on the board? And I think Jim was really high on Jefferson last year, so uh, I would think that would be very early for that. But we could we could talk about that afterwards too. I think it is a good discussion for you and I to have also. So um, largely just getting Jim's opinion and, and and how his process works and and why we should use it as much as we do. It's really interesting stuff. So we're just going to let that audio roll, give it a listen, and we'll be back to talk about it after it rolls. Okay, next on the Lockdown Bengals podcast, we have Jim Coburn. You can find him on Twitter 
at Jimmetrics. That's one M J A M metrics. And on YouTube, where I watch his videos, I subscribe to all of his videos, watch them every day, actually, every time he posts one, at Common Man Football. And uh, Jim, how you doing? Pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I, we're a big fan of your work here. We, we probably reference you and reference your production analytics and, and even the athleticism analytics you bring on. We probably talk about it every day when we're talking draft prospects. And people have asked more and more, like, well, we need more information on this. Well, you know, is is there other guys or, or how accurate is this information? Who's past guys that have had success and, and yada, yada. You know, the normal questions when I think right. people are delving into first time, really diving into analytics. Uh, can you give us a background on how long you've been doing this and, and what brought you to this? Uh, sure. Well, uh, originally, about six years ago, I was a draft twitter guy like everybody else you know watching yep. the film uh and that was it really just watching the film of a prospect uh really like this player because of such and such traits on film uh and then i think it was really justice mosqueda posted a link about not force players uh math rushers i think was yes the time. that's really what it was at the time <laughs> changed uh you know the name of it like, but uh and he posted a blog from waldo uh, and maybe uh, if you look up Justice Mosqueda, math rushers or or, uh, or force players, he has like an article with a link in it. But I went to the page, which was essentially like a thread on a website, and it had all this information about pass rushers specifically. It was talking about using the vertical and the broad jump to measure like explosiveness for your size, uh, the speed score type information, uh, and Twitch score, I think, was another thing. I don't really use Twitch score anymore, but it definitely was a thing that they had in that thing. And I was just fascinated by it. And I thought, okay, well, if they're doing this at edge rusher, what if you did it in every position? Right. You know, like, what if you did this every position? What would be the results for that? So I basically just spent a very long time just collecting running back position, wide receiver position, tight end position, so on and so forth, even quarterbacks just for fun, uh, you know, because the biggest thing I wanted to do was to see, you know, every year people have sort of statements about the draft, about what matters, what doesn't matter, especially when the combine comes around. But in reality, has anybody actually yeah. checked to see if it actually does matter? You know, like, right. is, is there then, is there facts to back up these statements or is it just like a, an opinion that gets presented as a fact? Right. You know, and based that, on their authority. That's definitely what we try to avoid, right, is, is just putting something out there without backing it up or showing some historical data. So now when you started doing this, did you go back and look at some players or did you just start from, you know, what six years ago or so and go forward? I pretty much started six years ago. That's when I did the major like data collection part of things uh, and, and mainly focused on athleticism data. Uh, and then from there, I think John Moore, who I think you're familiar, you know, John Moore, the yeah. Roto, uh, who, who's kind of, you know, does a lot of writing for them. He was doing, uh, dominator rating, which I think a lot of people are familiar with as well, yes, where yes. it's age and production. And he mainly just did it at the wide receiver position, uh, tight end position, and uh, running back, you know, they call it like the workhorse metric. I'm not really sure who does that. But, you know, they were doing stuff like that. And, and it was the same sort of thing where I looked at the production uh, sort of thing with offensive players and then what if we did it on defense? And I didn't expect to really see much of anything, but at the same time, I'm like, all right, well, let me do this on defense and see what it is, and came up with solo tackle market share, 
sack market share. And all that really is, it's, it's the same thing as say passing market share, which is what the dominant rating stuff is based on, but it's based on like a individual defensive statistic divided by the team total. So if a player had a hundred solo tackles on a team that had say a thousand solo tackles, which does happen from time to time, right. then that player had 10% solo tackle market share or uh, of that statistic. And all I really did is I did this for every single player since at least with defensive players back to 1989, because that's about as far back as I could go in terms of getting statistics. And then for offensive players, I went back to 1969. I actually go further than that, but I decided to just stop going at that point just because, you know, it's, I think it's a large enough sample. And and there was results. There was correlations, if you will. Um, in every single decade, players that had above average production, whether it was with solo tackle data, of course, every position is a little bit different. But yeah. every position, there was some production marker that indicate, okay, if a guy has above average market share production, there's a higher likelihood of them becoming a successful player. And then all you have to do at that point is add in the athleticism metrics because everybody's familiar with, of course, uh, Kent Platt, you know, yep. who does the RAS, the relative athletic score stuff, which I do love that stuff as well. Uh, but if you marry athleticism with production, with film and all that other stuff, I think that's the ideal goal. You know, so of course. none of what I do, I don't think, I don't look at what I do as like the end all be all like this is the thing. And if he doesn't pass this metric, he's going to be a bust or whatever. I'm just telling you, okay, what are the odds of this player becoming successful based on what the facts are? And that's pretty much how it kind of evolved from there. So it, it took a long time. Most of the major data collection stuff was done about four years ago. And ever since then, it was just kind of updating with each draft class coming in. But that's pretty much how I got to this point. Yeah, and, and all that stuff. I like how you say that it's it's not the end all be all, but and how Jake and I on the on the lockdown podcast we're, we're trying to say it's like placing a bet. Either it's you you want to have as much good information as possible or or good backing for each prospect as possible to make a good bet. And if they don't have these things, whether that be athleticism, you know, you, you hear teams talk about checking the boxes. Well, mm-hmm. for, for us, you know, you want the size, you want the character, you want the athleticism, you want the production and the, the tape has to match, of course. But if you don't have that athleticism or that production, that's a big, you know, risk to take. If you're t- spending a premium pick on one of these players. Absolutely. Um, it definitely is. And I, I feel like that's, what the data says. I mean, here's the basic thing. You need to talk about gambling, right? In yeah. terms of just looking at draft classes, only 10% of every draft class, only 10% of those players drafted are going to go on to become four-year starters at the position. Only 10%. Yeah. Like you yeah. have better odds of going to the craps table and winning some money than just randomly picking a player to become a successful player. So I just, in the NFL draft, so I just feel like all you're really doing is giving more information to make a better bet. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really all you're doing. They're all low, pretty low bets as it is. And so getting any type of information to turn it from maybe a, uh, you know, a 20% odds or to a 30%, you feel pretty, you feel much better about making that bet. Um, but I want to get on a, a few of these players that Bengals players, Bengals fans have talked about for a while, had our eye on, on the draft. And that's Devin white versus Devin Bush. And knowing you looking at your, I mean, testing wise, they, at the combine, they both blew it out. So they look great in that area. But when it came to production, Devin White looked really high when I looked at it. I was watching your YouTube videos earlier just to be sure. Uh, but Devin White, he looks like he's near the all-pro level. And Devin Bush is in the Pro Bowl level, would you say? And Yes. 
Would you say that's splitting hairs, or would you say both are passable and you shouldn't worry about it? I would I would say this much. Both Devin White and Devin Bush are they I mean Devin White does have the edge, a very slight edge because of his production data being in the 90 plus percentile. And that's basically the golden area area when it comes to line, you know, every great linebacker you could name, Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher, uh, uh, you know, Patrick Willis, Luke mm-hmm. Keekley, every great linebacker you could ever think of since 1989 was in that 90 percentile area. You know, the, and these are basically hall of famers we're talking about, you know, in many right. ways. Um, Bobby Wagner, of course, he might be a, you know, hall of famer, but Pretty much all the great linebackers are in that area. Devin Bush essentially is in the area where you have guys like DJ Williams, uh, and uh, you know it was a very good linebacker in the level. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the linebacker from try to write, there's so many linebackers, but basically Bush hit a production level of a Pro Bowler. Both of them have pretty much identical athleticism. I know people want right. to say that that Bush has the advantage athletically because of density. Because of, yeah, density. But they're basically, I mean, they're both freak athletes. I mean, it's kind of like comparing Calvin Johnson and Julio Jones. Like, they're still freaks. (laughs) Calvin Johnson's obviously the more athletic one, but they're both still freaks. Like, they're they're freak athletes. So I I feel like Devin White does have that edge. But at the same time, if you watch Devin Bush's film Mm -hmm. and Devin White's film and you go, I like Devin Bush more than Devin White, I don't really have any negative thing to say about that because again like what i said before the 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 data really shouldn't be the end all be all none of these players really have any red flags based on data so other than one probably being a potential hall of famer versus another guy who has more of a chance becoming a potential high quality linebacker so it's just really it really just comes down to the film at that point if you like devin bush more than devin white on film then you go with devin bush if you like devin white more than devin bush on film then you go with him. So that's just kind of how I feel about them based on their data is that it's really close and really just let the film decide. I mean, there was a similar situation last year where there was like three running backs last year that had pretty much identical data. Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, and Royce Freeman had like identical, just on paper, they were kind of identical in terms of their, their data. And my general argument was just because Royce Freeman has a higher production score doesn't mean you put Royce Freeman over Saquon Barkley it just means that you treat them as like these guys hit the same sort of area and then you let the film decide who goes over who. Yeah. You know, so you, like you see it more as like they pass the, or they've checked the box rather than use it as a ranking tool. Use it as, okay, he passes, throw him in the bucket with all the other guys that pass. Exactly. Okay. And, okay, so let's say the Bengals don't take one of these guys, one of these two linebackers at 11, if they're even able to get one of them. Uh, do you have a mid-round or maybe a day-two linebacker that you look at testing production and say, that's that's a guy I would target? Yeah, I would say that there would be – I mean, there's a lot of different linebackers in this class that have decent overall data, but I would say the two main ones would be Blake Cashman from Minnesota, and the other guy would probably be Ben Burkirvin from Washington. Um, yeah. Both those guys hit pretty heavy uh, production marks and have really good athleticism, especially when it comes to Blake Cashman. It, you're pretty good athleticism traits. So um, in fact, Cashman is kind of like the third, pretty much the third most athletic, you know, Devin Bush and Devin White are definitely one and two, but Cashman is pretty much the third most athletic linebacker in this class with good production to match. So 
I would say those would be the two guys after that point. If you're trying to get a uh, like a Bobby Wagner or a Navarro Bowman type, you know, because again, both those guys were guys who win day two. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had great production, they had great athleticism, but teams didn't like them because of where they played or because of whatever reason. Um, I would say those two have the potential to be that type of linebacker. You get kind of like a steal on day two for whatever reason, you know, because that happens every draft. Right. I I remember that you had high production scores and obviously the athleticism for Blink Jefferson, the Bengals' third-round pick last year. Now he played 11 snaps all year. But I have to consider, like, this almost going into his rookie year again because he didn't play last year. And there's kind of a cutoff point, right? Like, so where should I rank or where should I value a Malik Jefferson in this class? Cause I know you really liked him last year. In this particular class, I would say because of the flexibility concerns, like that was the only issue with Malik Jefferson is that his flexibility, he was a little stiff, right? You know, he was, he was explosive. He was fast, but he wasn't very agile. Uh, in terms of his or balance, really, is kind of how I look at it. You know, players that can do the three cone and the short shuttle, which is where that testing comes from, you know, the more balance you have, the faster you should go through those drills. Uh, I would say I would really have uh, a Ben Burkirvan, a Blake Cashman, a Devin White, and a Devin Bush over Malik Jefferson just because of the flexibility testing. But in this particular class, I would say he would still be a top five linebacker. It's just I would have probably four linebackers above him. Um, based on the overall data. That's fair, and that's probably going to get some Bengals fans here excited. If the Bengals wait too long, they're probably better off just taking another crack at Malik Jefferson. Um, the next guy that I think, for me, he's probably number one target, even though I don't think he'll be there, especially after after the the, the Houston Pro Day, and it's at Oliver. Uh, for some reason, right, he seemed to, people got bored with him or whatever it was, playing a little bit nose tackle. He didn't have the flashy plays that he, he probably could have had, but Mm-hmm. we were talking about him maybe being there at 11 for the Bengals for a while. Now it seems like a sure thing that he's going back top eight or so, maybe even higher. But I saw your, your video just on Tuesday on at Oliver, uh, high production, high athleticism. How high should he go? I mean, honestly, he, he has the potential to be a number one overall player in the class. Um, you know, yeah. his, his combination of production, you know, high 90 percentile in terms of every single metric, um, the fact that he was also really productive at a young age, uh, you know, he when he was a freshman, he was ridiculous, you know, uh, and he did run into some injuries. But it reminds me a lot of what happened with guys like Miles Garrett, Joey Bosa, even Jadavian Clowney, mm-hmm. where they have like a really great sophomore year, or freshman year. And then they hit the injury bug in that last year. And then people start to doubt him and start to go, well, he's injury prone or he doesn't have enough heart to play the game or whatever reason. And I think a lot of people have done that to Ed Oliver this year. But I think if you look at the collective data, the collective information, he's essentially elite productive with better athleticism than Geno Atkins, you know, yeah. in terms of just overall athleticism for his size. So, you know, you're essentially getting like a, a souped up Geno Atkins to a certain extent. So is it um, crazy to hope that he becomes Aaron Donald? I know Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in the league, but I mean, if you're going to get another one, this is the formula, right? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say he's Aaron Donald only because Aaron Donald did have better all-around production. Okay. Um, so that's the only thing I would say. Uh, but they're very, very close. I mean, I, I basically put Ed Oliver in the same sort of uh, – not undersized, but uh, – because the NFL is learning, I think. It, it takes mm-hmm. them a while to learn, as you know, yeah. because they get stuck in their ways. But based on the, all the data stuff that I do, 
it doesn't matter how tall a defensive lineman is. It doesn't really matter how big or small they are to a certain extent. Are they productive and are they athletic? Right. The things that Aaron Donald was, was he was really productive and he was really athletic. The things that Geno Atkins was, was productive and really athletic. That's how I see Ed Oliver. So, you know, Ed Oliver is Ed Oliver. Uh, people will compare him to Geo Atkins, compare him to Aaron Donald. Basically, all you need to know is you're going to get a very athletic and very productive player, and then you just have to let El- Ed Oliver decide if he's going to be a Hall of Famer or if he's going to be, like, sure. really, really good. All right, well, I, well, I still got you then. Let's talk quarterbacks real quickly uh, because sure. it seems like it's speeding up or at least heating up that the Bengals may take one at 11. And out of Dwayne Haskins, who's a one-year starter, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, and maybe even Will Greer if it's a day-two pick, what do you see in these guys in terms of production that may scare you away? And all of them seem to have flags, of whether that's Haskins one year or Locker Jones, uh, really not having the production scores you'd like for a franchise guy. Well, I don't really like any of the quarterbacks in this class um, from a data perspective. Uh, I think the two main ones that stick out because they had really great sync one year uh, production was, you know, Haskins, like you mentioned, and Kyler Murray. Those are really the only two that had 90 plus percentile production, but it was only one year worth of, of data. And based on all the work that I do, one year starters in college don't typically do that well at the NFL level. There's like a handful of players. I mean, Cam Newton is one of those players. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, I still don't like to add him to the list because he really is so young. You know, like he hasn't really been in the NFL for four or five plus years to really determine what he is. But you could throw him in if you want to. But even if you throw Mitch Trubisky in, you're talking about maybe like three or four quarterbacks in the last 50 years that only right. have one year worth of experience. Because, again, it comes down to experience. I mean, when you're when you're a quarterback, you need to have some sort of experience, some sort of fallback um, to, to learn and get better. Um, and the NFL is not the place to learn and get better because, you know, they want you to win right away. They don't want you to take your lumps. Every, they don't want you to go 0-16. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yep. Like they want you to be prepared what you're going to face and that's my only issue with Colin Murray and Dwayne Haskins is that they're just really inexperienced I mean that's not a under it's just facts and even though they were really great for their first year uh, there's no like there's no continuity to see is this a one-year wonder type thing or not because all I know from data is that this I mean there's lots of quarterbacks who have like a 90 percentile season and then the next year they're like 50 percentile now, this mm-hmm. happens all the time you know, um, the, the great quarterbacks typically are ones that start for three years and are great for all three years. You know, Baker Mayfield was that type of guy. Uh, even Sam Darnold, to a certain extent, was was that type of player. Um, so when I look at this quarterback class, you know, guys like Drew Locke uh, and uh, uh, Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, for example, those are guys that that over their course of their career, it's mediocrity with one above average season, at least in Drew Locke's case. Mm-hmm. So it like, I'm not saying I know what I get with Drew Locke because there definitely are exceptions. I mean, Drew Locke basically tested very similar to Jay Cutler, you know, based on his overall production. Data. And that's so, what he plays like. <laughs> exactly. So, and there's nothing wrong with Jay Cutler, but it's, it's sort of like investing all of your time and resources into something. And then you get kind of uh, out. It's right. like Joe Flacco. Sometimes it works. You get a Joe Flacco. You invest all your resources into that guy, and then boom, you get a Super Bowl win. But are you going to consistently be at the Super Bowl every year with a Joe Flacco? No. A Jay Cutler? No. 
Um, right. And that's the sort of issue of a guy like Drew Locke is, is he's not a guy I'd, I don't see him ever becoming a guy that's going to consistently get you to a Super Bowl and win you that Super Bowl, um, if you will. Uh, with Will Greer, the only relation with Will Greer is that he does have good all-around production, you know, pretty solid production. He is a little bit of inexperienced because he only has about two years worth of starts, you know, because of the whole transferring and all that other sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, his only other issue is just age. I mean, he's going to be 24 on draft day. There's only been two quarterbacks since 1959 who were 24 plus years old who became long-term starters. David Garrard is one of those guys. Jeff Garcia is another one of those players. Um, so it doesn't really mean that Will Greer is going to be a bust per se, because I do think he has all the tools to kind of be like a backup to a starter guy. But sure. if you're talking about eliteness at the quarterback position, I think it's a little bit less likely with Will Greer compared to other players. So who, if of these four, then who would you say has the most likely chance of being a top end franchise quarterback? I would. It, it's really tough, but it it really is between Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray. Yeah. And if I wanted to say elite, I would say neither one of them are going to be elite. But if I was going to say who has the best chance to like translate and become like a star type player in a Cam Newton like way, right? Because Cam Newton is not necessarily the most efficient quarterback ever, but he definitely is like a star quarterback. Like he puts butts in the seats, you know, when you yep. have a Cam Newton. And I think Kyler Murray has more of a chance of doing that type of thing than Dwayne Haskins to a certain extent. Makes sense to me. Uh, thank you for your time, Jim. I know we went a little bit long here, but all this is good. We may actually bring you on after. Maybe we can talk specific about whoever the Bengals do draft and we can uh, set our expectations accordingly. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, man. And that was our conversation with Jim Coburn. I want to thank Jim again for coming on. Uh, we're going to continue to use his stuff and use his production. I, I think he, what he does and his work is great. Again, YouTube, Common Man Football, you get a lot of his videos there. I subscribe to it. Uh, Jake, what did you think? Uh, I really liked the part about Malik Jefferson. That's my favorite part. Malik Jefferson is still, for, for Jim Coburn, a top five linebacker in this class. He he right. he said behind Cashman and maybe Burke Hervin, right? And those are guys that we've been talking about for second, third round targets. Yeah. Maybe Burke Hervin is, is like a sixth round guy in the eyes of NFL teams. Sure. Uh yeah. Give Malik Jefferson another go. And I, I think I, I, I sort of mentioned this kind of tongue in cheek a few days ago, like if they don't get one of those guys, maybe Malik Jefferson is a future. Maybe he steps up. Right. And I, I really wonder how this new coaching staff sees him. I wonder if they go back to the college shape and see, or like the college profile and see the athleticism and, and the, and the production and think, Oh, maybe, maybe we should, you know, coach this kid up. And, and the one interesting thing I think also that Jim mentioned was the hip flexibility balance issues for Jefferson being yeah. the big limiting factor. I could see that, and definitely when you watch tape, because when you watch tape, you're like, oh, he's a really good athlete, but he's got some stiffness to him, and uh, and in coverage, you see it, I think, and that's why Texas didn't let him do much in coverage. They really had him spy the quarterback and chase the quarterback and blitz, and that's fine. But uh, uh, How is he sideline to sideline, like chasing down the flats, the kind of highlights you see from Devin Bush? Yeah, and that's it's similar. He is a you know, um, a missile target lock and go and destroy. That's, that's what these guys do. That sounds like athletes. Devin Bush to me. Except Devin and, Bush, I think, has better hips. Yeah, Bush looks stupid fluid in the best way possible. Yeah. When you see him, you know, flipping his hips and running downfield, that, that's why he's, he's getting pushed up uh, 
But production analytics wise, Malik Jefferson was better than than Bush, and that's the one thing we've knocked on Bush is that he's just okay in that regard. Yeah. So yeah, it will be interesting if you get into the third round and they still haven't taken a linebacker yet. I don't think it's a guarantee that guy walks in and starts. If Malik Jefferson can take another step in development or take a step in development, then there's a chance that guy starts. And let's be honest, uh, no one should really, no one is, has a name cemented as a starting linebacker on this roster. Even though I think Vigil and Preston Brown do, they don't have to be. And uh, if Jefferson takes a step and they draft a guy, it could be a, a completely different unit. Yeah. I, it's so hard to figure out what they're going to do at 11 this year. It is. There's, there's all this buzz. Daniel Jeremiah today has Dwayne Haskins going number 11. And, you know, everyone else is thinking maybe it's still a defensive lineman. We're seeing all these offensive linemen come in for visits. Maybe it's just Devin Bush and we're overthinking it. Yeah, right. And if, if you know what? That's probably what it is. You you get a target about a month away from the draft, right? And you say, yeah, this is probably the guy. And then you spend the rest of your time looking at all the other options around it and saying, well, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. And then... Five days before the draft, we'll go, ah, it's probably Devin Bush. Yeah, you go in a circle. It's lying season, right? And so you get caught up in the lies, and then eventually you see through the lies, or or, or uh, Dave Lapham tells you who the pick's going to be. <laughs> exactly. Which, when, he should be coming up any time now for these podcasts and his media go-round. I wonder what he's going to say this year. I wonder, too. I wonder if he's gotten in cozy with any of these coaches. I wonder if it was one of Duke Tobin's guys. You're we'll right. find out this year. We're going to take a quick break and come back to get back into Mock Madness. Stay with us. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. Thanks for sticking with us through the break in the ads. We're going to continue Mock Madness. So far, I think it's gone the way we expected it. I thought today's or yesterday's depending on how you're listening to this between Montez Sweat and Cleveland Farrell would be the closest out of all of these but instead you guys proved us wrong 77 percent have voted for Montez Sweat over Farrell mm-hmm. and I don't think I disagree with it I think yesterday on the podcast I made it pretty clear that I think I take Montez Sweat also but uh yeah so that's gonna put us into round two now and Jake our first matchup for round two is pitting probably two prospects that won't be there at 11, right? I think most people expect that. The only time we've even brought these guys up is because, number one, one seemed to be mocked in that range for maybe the first half of the draft process, and then the other one had a visit with the Bengals. So Mm -hmm. we decided to put these two in in this bracket, and I wouldn't be surprised if either one won the whole thing just based on where they're projected to go. But that is Ed Oliver versus Josh Allen. Yeah, that's a really interesting one, right? One of them is a local guy who Bengals fans surely like because a lot of them are Kentucky fans. And Josh Allen was one of the incredibly talented players on a Kentucky team that was more relevant than it usually is in yeah. in football this year. And Ed Oliver is the guy we've been talking about forever, talking about, well, he's the next Geno Atkins in this draft. Let's go get him. 
let's go get the guy that's a little bit undersized and has the explosion and has a quick twitch and has has the production really to back it up and we we've been talking about Ed Oliver for this whole process and I think there's still a chance that he falls yeah. because he is undersized and the NFL is weird and this seems to happen every year even Aaron Donald who you go back and you turn on his college tape you'll see somebody that is unblockable for the most part everyone had Donald as a top 5 prospect that and he year. didn't go there Right, 12 or 13, whatever it was. Uh, so, yeah, it could happen. Oliver could still be there. Allen could still be there. I don't expect it to happen at all. When yeah. I look at our spreadsheet that we're building, and hopefully we'll have done it next week and we can share more of it, we have Josh Allen number two right now, at Oliver number three, and really only separated by .6 of a grade, 87.5, 86.9. They are elite prospects. Uh, we've talked about, I think, Oliver more than Allen but just to look at Allen a little bit more, and I think people are familiar with him, but 6'5", 262, 33 and a half inch arms. I think he looks real good on tape, obviously. But his production analytics, Jim Coburn, a 96.3. Relative athletic score, 97.1. Pro yeah. Football Focus loved him in 2018, a 94.2 versus the pass as a pass rusher versus the run, 83.5. He's got three years of experience, 2,262 snaps overall. Uh, he's... He's good. He's really, really he good. He ticks all the boxes. Yeah. Any any kind of way you cut it, if you like analytics more, if you like PFF more, if you like tape more, if you like the athletic profile more, it doesn't matter. He yeah. checks all those boxes. I think everyone's going to agree on him that he should go top six in any draft, and this is exactly what you want. If you want an edge prospect, Josh Allen fits exactly what you should want to draft every year in the top of, of you know, top five, top six range. So how does he make it to 11? I mean, he doesn't, right? But if if you had to put together a hypothetical, that's with like three quarterbacks going early, some yeah. offensive linemen going earlier than we expect them to. So Kyler Murray, Quinnen Williams, right. Bosa, maybe Devin White slips in there early because somebody's in love with the linebacker. Maybe yeah. uh, TJ Hawkinson goes a little early. Maybe Noah Fant goes a little early. I don't maybe know about Brian Fant Burns. at this point. I don't, I don't know either, but maybe but I was going to, I was going to say, and, let's throw a few linemen in there, right? And some quarterbacks, sure. Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not Daniel Jones. Maybe, maybe two, maybe Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke. Did you see Drew Daniel Locke. Jeremiah's latest mock? Daniel Jones to the, um, to the Giants as we have thought of at six and then Drew Locke at 30. Oh, wow. Yeah. Surprising there. But the, there's so many different opinions about those quarterbacks. It's crazy. And, that's that's the thing. But, I, you know, there could be some surprise picks. I, I think someone like Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame could surprise and like, wow, he went, ended up being a top 15 pick. I don't think he's going to go top 10, but it's not crazy. Gil Brandt had uh, Christian Wilkins as number 10 on his board. So. Yeah, Christian Wilkins could go earlier than, than we've been talking about at least. Right. And then let's, we've, we've been in a mock where Devin White and Devin Bush go before the Bengals even are on the clock. So... Yeah, I think it's a slim chance Josh Allen's there. And so I kind of don't want him to win this, you know. But uh, he would be, if they if it somehow happened, it would be an A-plus of all A-plus type picks, even though many would say. And that's probably where people are going to vote. we got two elite prospects. Which one would actually fill a need mm-hmm. more? And which one would make a bigger impact? And I think impact could be equal. Uh, positional value could be equal. But filling a need probably more leans towards Ed Oliver. I think unquestionably leans toward that Oliver and I think one other thing that might weigh heavy in the mind of Bengals fans is the name of Geno Atkins as a as a comparison for Ed Oliver right you're telling me and and that this was recent too people were talking about uh 
I'm forgetting his name, the director of the Senior Bowl, and other people are saying he, he may not be Aaron Donald talking about Ed Oliver, but he might be Geno Atkins, and that's really good. We shouldn't say it as a negative. And when you're speaking to Bengals fans, that's not a negative at all. You're telling me I can get another Geno Atkins? Sign me up. Yeah, I, I don't think it should be seen as a negative either, right? Like before before Aaron Donald was in the league, it was it was Geno. And then right. that he was in a tier of his own. And then he had the ACL injury. And then now Fletcher Cox is in that tier. And this isn't to say Fletcher Cox, you know, whatever. You, you, I don't want to get into that argument. Fletcher Cox and Geno Atkins, you, you take either on your team at this point in time. And I think right. Gerald McCoy is up there too at this point as Geno's age. And, you know, the injury did sap some of his explosiveness. And, and we've seen that over the last couple of years. But he's still in that second tier, I think, behind Aerodonald. Maybe, maybe, maybe last year you look at the whole the whole season and the way the defense struggled and he grazed out in the third tier, but you still feel really good about Geno Atkins as your, you know, your number one three tech. Definitely. And that's why I think uh, teams should, and we say this, but then Grady Jarrett goes in the fifth round, but teams should start to be more comfortable with these types that are maybe miscast in college, undersized, but definitely have the tools at, at defensive line and Atkins, Atkins, (laughs) Oliver, I actually had good production scores too because playing yeah. in Houston, he got a lot of a lot of the share of tackles and tackles for loss and things like that. So, which tells uh, you he's carrying load, and it's pretty obvious too. It is when you watch him; he's the he stands out as the most athletic, most disruptive player on that defense, hands down. And there's actually a really good corner that's uh, converted safety for Houston, also that'd probably get drafted in the Isaiah? top half of the draft. Yeah, I, freak I athlete, even... best athlete ever at the cornerback position, Isaiah Johnson. I saw him as mocked high second round recently, and uh, that'd be something. No corner that's that athletic. Uh, th- there, there's such a track failed, history right? of success when, when you have that level of, of athleticism. Yeah, it's insane. If I was using analytics more, even in 2017 draft, I may have been stronger on Marshawn Lattimore, who had a 10 for his, his relative athletic. And I liked Lattimore on tape, but I didn't put that together that he was an insane athlete. Well, now you are. Isaiah Johnson, name to remember from Houston. But this goes back to Ed Oliver and Josh Allen. Take your pick. I think you can't go wrong. This is probably going to be the closest poll we've had. I'm interested because we've thought that a few times now. We'll see, if, we'll see if the fans ever get close. The thing about the what? draft is, and the thing about these polls, and I've mentioned this before, this isn't like ranked choice where you can say, I'm, I'm 60% on Oliver and, and 40% on Josh Allen or whatever it is. You guys, you just have to pick one. and Right. That's what led to you winning our our dueling mocks. Which oh, you think that's it? Yeah, I was still, still I was still like a recount. If you're out there, official it. vote tallyers. Not gonna happen. Yeah. Speaking of uh, recounting votes, did you see the? I, I forget who was doing it. Might have been Fox Sports, but uh, they were ranking fan bases in their bracket, and they had people vote on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And the Bills versus Titans. It was down to like the final four. And it was Bills fans versus Titans fans. Bills are beating them by 20,000 votes or something. I might be off on the number, but it was a sizable gap. And then all of a sudden, with like six minutes left, the Titans get 30,000 votes. Hmm. And Bills fans are like, oh, you guys set up a bot or something. It was it was a fun, interesting conversation on Twitter for, <laughs> for a couple hours. And I, think I, I guess Titans that's how... Up- I guess that's the how the, uh, uh, yeah, the Browns won, I was going to say. So the right. Browns, I think there's a coder out there that's a Browns fan who has, he has the experience, 
uh, back Peyton, in, what was it, Madden Madden 2011, yeah. or I don't even know what year it was, 2013? No, it way longer than that, right? Was it, was it that long, 20, 2008, maybe? I, I think I have the case in my room behind me right I here. Th- I think I boycotted that year. Uh, Peyton Hillis, of course, won a popularity contest to be on the cover of Madden, and Peyton Hillis is a one-year wonder. To I the, voted for Peyton Hillis, just so you... I remember that. You know what? I bet you white dudes everywhere voted for Peyton Hillis. Exactly what it was. White, white dudes running are like, back? Are you white me? running back? Yeah, like, give me give me some of that. Give me give me right. some Rex Burkhead on the cover. Give me some Mike Allstott on the cover. No, you oh, know what? Right Mike now it's Peyton Hillis. Uh, you need three yards? He'll get you three yards. You need five yards? He'll get you three yards. Mike Allstott. He was great. You ever heard that saying about Mike Allstott? No, but he was great. He was I, so I, fun to watch. I wish I could remember who gave that quote. It's one of my favorite quotes about the NFL. His highlight video, it'll circulate every once in a while. And when you watch it, you just it, it's jaw-dropping that he was so hard to tackle and he wasn't moving anywhere. But That's people Jerome were just Bettis too, right? off of him. Jerome yeah. Bettis early in his career ran a little bit better, I think. but When he wasn't so heavy. Yeah. But we're, we're going off off script here. Well, that's that's the point of the last two minutes of the show, I think, Joe. It's what makes a great quarterback. It's what makes a great quarterback. And we are your quarterbacks of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And get out there, get your votes in. We're getting close to the mailbag. Think up those questions. Looking forward to that coming up in a couple of days. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.